Well, good evening. Uh, it's great to welcome so many of you. Great Christmas venue. Lots of people here. We're delighted to see you all. You're very welcome. My name's Ian. I'm the minister of the church that puts this carol service on. And um, so if you don't know me, come and say hi afterwards. Everybody likes good news, right? Yep, there is someone out there. Just, um, just for one minute, turn to the person next to you and uh, think about what is the best news someone has ever told you. Just generally in life, what's the best piece of good news you've ever received? Just talk to the person next to you. If you don't know them, introduce yourself. The best piece of good news. Well, um, we're, we're in Britain. I, I wasn't sure if that conversation was going to go well, because we're probably more able to talk about bad news, aren't we, in Britain? Who, who's, who's got the courage to shout out? Best piece of good news? Your dad said, <laughs> Your dad said you leave it home. Good one. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, go on, someone else. Your car passed its MOT. That's always a bit of good news, that, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Anybody else? You must have some good news. <laughs> Getting into college. Good one. Okay. Well, listen, tonight, just for a few minutes, I've got one simple aim. And that is to try and show you that the message of Christmas really is good news. After all, this is how it was announced by angels to the shepherds. We heard about it, I think, in some of the activity things that we looked at. One of the angels says to the shepherds, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. That sounds like happy language to me. Good news of great joy. They may as well have said, get a load of this. It's the best thing you'll ever hear. I think in all the busyness of Christmas, it is easy for us to forget that at its heart, the message of Christmas is an enormous piece of good news. We need it. It really matters. Christmas is so much more than just a nice, warm story. Anyway, over the last three weeks, we've been, in our church, we've been looking at the Christmas story from the perspective of Matthew. There are four Gospels in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, and we've been thinking about the Gospel of Matthew 
So all the readings that you've heard tonight, I think we had three, didn't we, are basically Matthew's perspective on the Christmas story. There's a number of reasons why, Matthew, have we got some slides that will come up? There's a number of reasons why Matthew's gospel is important. First of all, Matthew was an eyewitness of Jesus. He was a close friend of Jesus. And so the most important thing about Matthew, I suppose, is that when he writes his gospel, he isn't making stuff up hundreds of years later after the event. He was there. He saw things and he wrote them down. But one of the second reasons why Matthew's gospel is important is that he does have an agenda. He's writing with a particular aim in mind. And the reason he's doing that is because he is a Jewish man. And the reason that that's important is because as a Jewish man, Matthew would be familiar, not just familiar, but steeped in the part of the Bible that we call the Old Testament. You know there's two parts of the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. Matthew would have been steeped in 2,000 odd years of Jewish history. And his agenda when he writes his gospel is to show us that Jesus, who he knew, was the culmination of all of those thousands of years of history. Hundreds of years of waiting. At Christmas time, when you go to Meadowhall, they've got WH Smith and Waterstones and Meadowhall, you see all the bestsellers. Often, they're biographies, aren't they? I don't know if you've bought any for Christmas this year. Biographies. This year, I think the biography of Alex Ferguson came out. There's one or two others that you might know. Normally, biographies are written at the end of someone's life or towards the end when they've actually done things. I want, I want to suggest to you tonight that Jesus is utterly unique because his biography, did we go off then? His biography was written before he was even born. In Matthew's Gospel, Matthew is constantly saying... Here's what happened, and the reason it happened was that it fulfilled a prophecy that was in the Old Testament. In the first two chapters of Matthew, he says that five times. Let me just quickly give you a whistle-stop tour. First of all, Matthew says that Jesus was born miraculously to Mary, who was a virgin. That doesn't happen, but that was prophesied in 720 BC by a man called Isaiah. Secondly... Matthew tells us that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. There was another Jewish prophet called Micah who lived in 725 BC and he talks about the Messiah being born in Bethlehem. Thirdly, oh I did write these down so I don't need to keep looking over my shoulder. Thirdly, there was a man man in the Old Testament called Hosea and he describes the escape that Jesus made with Mary and Joseph to Egypt. He wrote in 750 BC, Herod's massacre of babies. Jeremiah, another prophet, speaks about that in 600 BC, 626 to 587, he was a prophet. And in chapter 2 of Matthew, I think Joan read it last of all, the fact that Jesus grew up in Nazareth. That's an odd one because Matthew doesn't specify which prophet said that. 
What he seems to be saying is that all the prophets generally in the Old Testament refer to the fact that when the Messiah would come, people would be surprised about where he came from. Nazareth was a place that was small, it was a backwater. When Jesus began his public ministry, people said, how can the Christ come from Nazareth? Does anything ever good come out of Nazareth? They thought he was a country bumpkin. The Old Testament touches on that, predicting the coming of Jesus. Matthew seems to be saying that even his humble beginning was predicted. Matthew's point in his gospel is that everything that happened to Jesus was predicted in great detail hundreds of years before he was born. Matthew's telling us that Jesus is not just a lucky, charismatic leader who had a devoted group of followers who embellished his memory after he'd gone. Matthew's trying to tell us that Jesus is part of a much bigger story. So, what's in my heart, really, to share with you tonight is, why is this big story good news? I wanted to try and use an illustration to picture it. Hence the train tracks on the screen behind me. These train tracks are a a parallel, if you like, with human history. According to the Bible, human history has two dominant themes running all the way down the years. One of those themes is the idea of huge problems. And the other track is the idea of an amazing promise. Problem and promise. Two tracks running all the way through human history. I I think that's an idea that should resonate with us in 2015. We're surely aware this Christmas time, aren't we, of many problems. Some of them seem new. Some of them seem as old as the hills. Many of us wonder where the solutions to some of the problems that we see in the world will come from. We hope there's a solution. Many people stand up and say, I've got a solution. And we wonder whether they can really deliver. Often we hear people saying to us that the solution actually is inside of us. If only we could just find it in our hearts to be this or that or the other, then all the problems in the world that we face would all disappear and go away. I think this is how human history has always been. And the Christmas story for Matthew speaks right into this idea. Matthew is given us God's perspective on human history. There's a problem and there's a massive promise. I want to suggest to you that one of the reasons why the big story of the Bible is good news is because like a good doctor, it gives a radically accurate diagnosis of what the problem is. And then it very clearly gives us the answer. So first of all, what's the problem? Well, listen, 
I started by saying that this was good news, didn't I? So I don't want to take too long to dwell on this. But I want to touch on the bad news first. I, I, want, to, I want to sow a seed for you tonight that actually you and I will never appreciate the good news of the Christmas story unless we appreciate the problems that Jesus came into the world to solve. We only have a few minutes, so let me sum up with three Ds. I like alliteration. Makes it easy to remember. Disability, debt, and destiny. You remember those three Ds? Practically, these are problems that we all fear. I don't mean by disabilities, physical disabilities. What I mean by that is not being able to do what you want to do in your life when you want to do it. I don't think, I don't know about you, I'm being honest about me, I don't want people to think that I can't do things. I don't want people to think that I've got myself into debt or that I can't afford things. And I certainly don't want people to feel like somehow my opportunities are curtailed or limited. I think in life we want to be able to do what we want, to have what we want, and to get to where we want to get to. And often I think the cry of our hearts, many of the people in our culture and society is, I can't do it. I can't afford it. And there's no hope. Disability, debt and destiny. But I'm not speaking as a politician. There's enough of them. What I want to suggest to you tonight is that all of these problems actually are fundamentally spiritual ones. Much more than their practical ones. I'm talking here just for a couple of minutes about spiritual disability, spiritual debt, and spiritual destiny. What about spiritual disability? In that Old Testament part of the Bible, there are a lot of laws. Not only laws, but God gave a lot of laws to his people in the Old Testament. Binding codes of ethics. Ten Commandments. And these laws in the Old Testament were good laws that called for all the right kinds of things. Two of the most famous in the Old Testament. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might and all your strength. And another important one, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Even Jesus later said that those two laws were the most important laws in the whole of the Old Testament. And I think you would agree with me, there's no doubt that if everyone in the world lived by those laws, the world would be a better and a happier place. There's no problem with the laws being bad ones. They're good ones. The problem is that we don't do it, do we? The problem actually is that we can't do it. I think one of the reasons that God gave us the Old Testament part of the Bible is to show how human nature has never changed. It seems to constantly fail to live up even to its own ideals. And it certainly fails to live up to the goodness of God. 
The world has changed a lot. Human nature seems to have not changed at all. We need some kind of help because we seem to have a spiritual disability. What about spiritual debt? Debt is an awful thing, isn't it? It's a massive problem in our society. But the Bible talks about a kind of spiritual debt. We haven't lived as we ought to have done sometimes. There's a sense in which we owe God and don't have the means to pay the debts that we've accumulated. There is a kind of guilt that seems to cling to us. When I was a young boy, certainly under 10, I remember being in the car with my dad and asking him, I don't don't know what I'd done. I I can remember my dad got a new Datsun Cherry and I remember he he went into a paper shop and I got the cigarette lighter and burnt a hole in the passenger seat of his brand new Datsun Cherry. And he said to me, go up to your room and I'll come up at five o'clock. I think the waiting was worse than what he did to me when he got up there at five o'clock. But I, I don't know if it was on that occasion, but I said to my dad, will the good things that I do in my life outweigh the bad things? Even as a youngster, even as a youngster, I felt somehow like I was already getting into debt. Would the good things outweigh the bad things? And then what about spiritual destiny? I, I think you would agree with me that our culture is obsessed about health. I, I've been trying this last few years to get a bit fitter. You put weight on as you get older and you can't lose it as easy as when you were younger. I was hoping that I'd have something better to lean on because I did a 10k run this morning and uh, I don't know whether my legs would like last One of the ironies about our age is we think so much about our physical health but we spend very little time thinking seriously about our ultimate destiny. We might be able to prolong our lives by being a bit healthier but what about eternity? Life after death is like a kind of taboo subject, isn't it? That nobody wants to talk about. Here's the thing. I I, I think we live our lives, I live my life often with very little thought for God. Our lives, my life often shows that I love so many other things rather than him. And what does that say about my and your ultimate destiny? In the end, you know, if God gave us what we, what we really wanted, I think there's a sense in which it wouldn't be him. And our eternity would be an eternity without him. Anyway, human history has a lot of problems. That's one track. Some of these... Disability, destiny are the biggest and deepest ones. They're not superficial. I don't think we can solve these problems with more politics or better education. 
these problems need a radical solution. What is that solution then? I said that the other track that runs through history is one of promise. All the way through that same Old Testament in the Bible, in the middle of human failure, God is constantly saying in history, stop, look, think. And he's predicting and promising that he himself would come one day to fix all of these problems we've been talking about. So here's the good news of Christmas then. I I couldn't think of a letter that they all could begin with. I was right disappointed with that. Power, forgiveness, and heaven. Let me deal with the second one first. Forgiveness. I want to say to you tonight, this is good news. Because of Jesus, your and my spiritual debts can be paid off in full. In Roman times, when a criminal was put into prison, the authorities would put on the cell door a list of their crimes. They would pin it to the door and it would tell you on, sorry, it would tell you on there what the sentence was for each crime and the criminal would not be able to walk free until the sentence for those crimes had been paid. It's like a sort of certificate of debt on the cell door. Much later on in the New Testament, one of the writers uses that picture in a lovely way to talk about how Jesus changes that dynamic. That writer was a man called Paul, and he says this in the New Testament... God made you alive with Christ, having forgiven all of our sins by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with all its legal demands. He took it away and nailed it to his cross. The picture that the writers using is that Jesus comes to the cell, he rips the certificate of debt off the cell door, And he nails it to his own cross. And he himself stamps it with a massive stamp that says, paid in full. There's no debt anymore. And the person in the cell can walk free. What an amazing picture. Jesus suffered and died as a kind of substitute. His death was actually the death that I deserve. My debts, and I have a lot of them spiritually, have been paid in full by Jesus. What that means is that not only was the biography of Jesus written long before he was born, but it also means that it was always part of God's plan that Jesus would be born in order to die. In the Old Testament, God tried to teach his people something of the indebtedness of their own sins. You'll know that in the Old Testament, God told his people to take animals and sacrifice them. Animals can't take away people's debts, but what God was teaching was that our debt is a big deal 
But all of it was a picture pointing forward to the Lamb of God. We sang about it. The Lamb of God who came to lay down his life to cover the debts we owe. Do you know, it's actually better than that as well. Because Jesus also credits us with the goodness of his life. Here's how Christianity works. If my life was a bank account and I was a million pounds overdrawn, it'd be a good thing if someone came and settled all the debt. But then I'd only be breaking even. What the message of the Bible says is that Jesus takes our debt on himself and gives us his good life and credits that to our account. Which means that I can stand clothed in his goodness even though I was before in depth. Secondly, we talked about disability power very quickly. Listen, one of the problems with all religion, politics, education, is that in the end, all of them are trying to impose change from the outside in, aren't they? Do you ever think about that? You can't actually make anyone do something they don't want to do, can you? All of these different schemes work from the outside in. The Bible is far more radical because it says that the change has to come from within and work itself out. Christianity teaches that Jesus doesn't just bring forgiveness but he offers his power to help us on the inside to be the kind of people we should be, to give us new values, new desires, new ability. Life is therefore not a hopeless struggle. Jesus isn't waiting for us to pass some kind of moral exam or to come up to scratch in some way Jesus wants us to come to him as we are so that he can then give us his life in order to change ours. And listen, lastly, because of Jesus, there's a possibility of a new ultimate destiny. Forgive the pun here. But Jesus came to stop us in our tracks. When I was a kid, some of you are a little bit older like me. I used to love playing a game on my old computer called Lemmings. I don't know if you remember it. And you you had to do all these creative puzzles to stop these little fellas from, like, dropping off the cliff at the end. And you felt really clever when you managed to do it. This is how the Bible pictures the world. People blindly going away from God. And Jesus comes and he erects this great massive cross And shouts to people in love and says, stop, it doesn't have to be this way. So with forgiveness and power comes a new ending. Eternity. Now, because of Jesus, is not separation from God, but eternity with him. Jesus changes hell into heaven, despair into hope. Condemnation into joy, being outside swapped for coming inside, separation swapped for relationship, 
I want to suggest to you tonight that Christmas is totally good news. Jesus isn't just a nice figure from history. He is utterly crucial. Our problems, my problems spiritually are bigger than we think they are. But God's promise also is way bigger than we think it is. I don't think we will truly know how amazing and relevant and good the coming of Christ is until we realise how much we need him. If you think you don't need him, none of the Christmas story will make any sense to you. But if you know that you do need him, there's a wide open door here, even today, for you to walk through, to believe what God has done for you through Jesus, to turn from a life without God to a life filled with him. There's a very famous verse in the Bible that says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. This Christmas, I want to ask you very gently, hello mate, I want to ask you very gently, but very deliberately, is Christmas good news for you, personally? Has there come a day in your life where you've realised that God loves you this much? A time when you realise that your spiritual needs were your biggest ones, actually. A day when you discovered that God had given his son to be your saviour. Have you come to the place where you've said to God, I'm sorry for going my own way. And have you trusted him and asked him to come into your life and heart? It will cost you, but it is so worth it. Let me close with this. Jesus once told a story about a shepherd who had a hundred sheep and he lost one. And the shepherd left the 99 other sheep and he went looking for the lost one. And when he found it, he put the lamb on his shoulders. Very happily, he came home and he called all his neighbours. He said, let's have a party because I found the sheep that was lost. And Jesus said this at the close of the story, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need to. Imagine that, a party in heaven because someone who was lost 
was found. Someone who was far away came home. That has got to be good news.